We have two different scripture readings this morning. Uh, one is a single verse in John 15, and then a number of verses in Acts 2. So first of all, John 15, verse 26. This is Jesus speaking. This is the promise that we're focusing on today. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's Jesus' disciples. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord." And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's word this morning. That is the first Pentecost. That is Pentecost. And then in the following verses, Peter's sermon goes on for a while. Brothers and sisters, last week we kicked off our Standing on the Promises series by seeing the surprising number of promises in Scripture directly associated to the ascension of Jesus. Jesus promises to plead our cause. He promises to prepare a place for us. He promises to take us to be with him one day. He promises us his presence. 
which is for our personal comfort, and his presence is also assuring the success of the mission of the church. He also promises us the Holy Spirit when he ascends, which I promised you we would save for today. So I'm keeping that promise. We read together Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, and then we read the fulfillment of that promise on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish festival. Jesus was crucified during a key Jewish festival too, right? The Passover. And on the cross, he became the once-for-all Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, after that Passover weekend, he ascended. Ten days after that, 50 days after Passover, was Pentecost. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. As Jesus fulfilled once and for all that Passover feast with his crucifixion, with his resurrection, there is fulfillment going on at Pentecost. Uh, Peter gets us on track of what's going on, of course, and he quotes the prophet Joel at the beginning of his sermon saying, in the last days, my spirit will be poured out. So, interesting stuff there. Peter is telling the people that they're in the last days. And the New Testament uses that phrase other times too. That's referring to something in particular. It doesn't mean it's the last several days before the end of time. The last days here and in Scripture refers to the days after Jesus coming to this earth to accomplish salvation through his death and resurrection. The days after he ascended into heaven. So the last days are the days between his first coming and his second coming. And that means we are just as much in the last days still today as Peter's hears. I mean, we're, we're farther along, obviously, we're closer to when Jesus will return, but we're in the last days. That describes, biblically speaking, the days we're living in. And these are the days of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're told. But the thing about this promise of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, that's puzzling, is that he, the Holy Spirit, was already around He was already around earlier. We read about him in the Old Testament often. So what does it mean that he came at Pentecost? What's so special about Jesus' promise of his coming for us? That's what I want to think about. And and to get at that, we're going to first of all just take a peek together at how the Spirit was already at work before Pentecost. And doing that's going to help us see what his outpouring means for us today. John Piper's a, a great uh, preacher. Some of you know him. He describes 10 different ways believers in the Old Testament experienced the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to pick up on just some of those a little bit. First of all, Old Testament believers experienced the Spirit living in them. And even through the Holy Spirit, 
believers in the Old Testament were reborn. We think of that as New Testament stuff. But Old Testament people experienced the Spirit in them, renewing them, making them reborn too. When Jesus met with Nicodemus one night, this is John 3, Nicodemus was very puzzled about Jesus saying that you needed to be reborn by the Spirit. And then Jesus says to him in verse 10 something kind of interesting. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand this? Why would he say that unless he's saying, I shouldn't be teaching you anything new? The reality is that any Israelite who was ever saved, if they were saved, they had to be born again by God's Spirit. How else does a lost person belong to God? How else does a lost person want to follow God's ways and and praise his name like Noah did and Abraham and Ruth and David? The Spirit's got to change your heart. In Numbers 14.24, God says of Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land. And God talks about Joshua in the same way. This is a guy who's got the Spirit, a different Spirit. Old Testament believers, like us, were born of the Spirit. The Spirit dwelt in them. And that's the only way that they could trust in God's promises back then. That's the only way they could live for Him. The Spirit was in them. Also, interestingly, the Old Testament believers enjoyed the presence of of the Holy Spirit. They enjoyed the constant presence of the Spirit. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your Spirit? If I go to the mountains or the depths of the sea, you are there. And so God's Spirit was with believers to give them encouragement and support. And we know that. He lives in us and wherever we go, God's Spirit is there already. If we're heading into a hospital room, if we're laying in an MRI tube, if we're on our first day at a new school, if we're heading into life after graduation, if we're heading into retirement, He is there. He's with us. And Old Testament believers experienced His presence also. Here's an interesting one. Old Testament children of God believed that craftsmanship and artistic ability in service to God was a gift of the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 31, preparing for the tabernacle, God says of this guy named Bezalel, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood for work in every craft. All abilities are gifts of God. But back then and today, it seems that God gives a special filling of the Spirit that can bring art, music, craft above 
sort of usual skill and beauty to something that is actually empowered by the Spirit to build believers' faith and to glorify God. Isn't that cool? The Bible talks about it. Also in the Old Testament, the Spirit taught believers, gave counsel to believers. You know, just like in the Gospel of John, we read Jesus calls the Spirit the counselor. The Spirit also helped people overcome fear in the Old Testament. Haggai 2.5, my Spirit abides in you, fear not, says the Lord. Sometimes on special occasions, the Holy Spirit gave the ability to interpret dreams and to prophesy like Peter talks about in his sermon at Pentecost. And we don't have time this morning to get at all of what Peter's getting at there. But, you know, we could think of prophecy as something pretty exotic. But the Bible talks about it both back in the Old Testament and in terms of the church today. It's a type of teaching that God blesses some in his church to provide sometimes on certain occasions. And so the Holy Spirit did all these amazing beneficial things, and even more than that, in the midst of the community of God's people in the Old Testament. So the question is, why the promise of his coming if he already was at work and he was already around God's people? What's new or different about Pentecost and the Spirit's activity today? John Piper uses the Aswan High Dam on the Nile River in Egypt to help us understand. And you ever hear of the Aswan High Dam? goes back its construction a number of years. This dam is 375 feet high, 11,000 feet across. Egypt's president announced the plan for its construction way back in the early 1950s. It was completed in 1970, and in 1971, there was a dedication ceremony, and the 12 turbines, with their 10 billion kilowatt-hour capacity, were unleashed with enough power to light every city in the nation of Egypt. During this very long period of construction, the Nile River wasn't completely stopped. While they were filling the reservoir, part of the river was allowed to flow past yet. The people downstream depended on the river. They drank it. They washed in it. The the river watered their crops. They sailed boats on it. The river was their life. But On the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, a power was unleashed that spread far beyond the people downriver and brought them possibilities that they had only dreamed of compared to the trickle that they enjoyed previously. We could think of Pentecost like that dedication ceremony for the Aswan High Dam, Before Pentecost, God's Spirit blessed God's people 
richly. They enjoyed the riches that the water of the Spirit poured out in their lives in any number of ways. But at Pentecost, the Spirit comes like never before. Something more happened. There was an unleashing of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There was an increase of the Holy Spirit unleashed for God's people. In a couple different ways. There was, first of all, an increase in power. There's an increase in power today. None of all of those Old Testament benefits were taken away, but instead, 10 billion kilowatts of power were added to what was already there for believers to receive and to experience in their lives. What they had was a trickle. What we've got is a torrential outpour. Whatever God gave believers then, he promises us even more in terms of all those benefits of the Holy Spirit. There was also an increase in reach. The Spirit of God worked almost exclusively within and among the people of Israel previously. There were exceptions. Ruth was a foreigner. Rahab was a non-Israelite. But they were exceptions. Then... And today, the Spirit's reach is to all people, every nation, the entire world, starting with Pentecost. In verse 17, it's very, very clear here. God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And it's different than it was before. In verse 21, now everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is why the Spirit filled the disciples at Pentecost and they began to speak in other tongues. They, they spoke in other languages by the power of the Spirit. And, and, that, and all these people were there in Jerusalem. We read from every nation under heaven. And that's so the message would go out to the nations. And the Spirit was empowering that to happen. We could also talk about an increase in goal of the Spirit. The goal of the Spirit in the Old Testament, was the cross. The Spirit was leading the people always forward to the first coming of Jesus. The Spirit was leading those Old Testament saints on the long, dusty, windy road to Bethlehem. The goal of the Spirit previously was Jesus' first coming, and that's because of the people's failure to live in the Spirit. They were supposed to bring God's Word to the nations, but they failed. They not only didn't spread God's Word, they didn't keep it or follow it themselves even. Out of that failure of God's people, ultimately a failure to stand on the promises, Jesus came to keep the promises, to live truly in and by the Spirit and make happen what didn't happen. And so the Spirit because of the people's sin back then, was leading and bringing and guiding them into Jesus coming in the fullness of time. And then Jesus came. He died and rose again. He ascended. He sent his spirit to refresh all nations. And now anyone who turns to Jesus is saved. That means the goal now is the new heavens and the new earth. That's the goal. 
That's the goal of the Spirit. That's where He's leading us. To glory. And on the way, the Spirit fills God's people to be engaged in the mission of God, to be empowered for our lives by the Spirit, personally, and to reach all people we can with the message of the Lord. Today, it's as if instead of uh, the dusty road to Bethlehem being the goal that, that we had in Old Testament times, now it's like the Holy Spirit is leading us on the superhighway to heaven, to glory. The power of the Spirit, the reach of the Spirit, the goal of the Spirit, it's all been blown wide open. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and all of the Spirit's benefits are even for your life today in even greater measure from what you read about in those Old Testament saints because of Pentecost. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. If the Old Testament saints experienced such benefits of the Spirit when he came as a trickle, when he came as a stream, how much more do we have today with 10 billion kilowatts added? Do we realize it? Are we living it? How can you? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Like all the promises of God, you just open up your hands. You look to the cross of Jesus. Jesus who made it all possible for you not to have to muddle your way through life in despair, but to live in the power of the Spirit, for your life to be transformed in those around you, for the church to thrive, to be built up. Just ask. Will we ask? Will you ask for him in your life, in the life of this nation, in the life of this church that he's blessed us with? Just ask. Just open your hands in Jesus' name and be filled with the Spirit. Can't, I can't manufacture that as a pastor. You could try. This is God. We don't, we're not playing games here. Well, let's see what we can do to make ourselves a spirit-filled church. Let's try this. Let's do this. No. Will we ask? May we ask and be filled with what God has for us.